Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to open your word to us that we might perceive it aright, to see you for who you are and understand who we are. May we see what is available to us to live the risen life through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. It's attributed to Mark Twain, uh, saying that when he wrote a long letter to a friend, he said in his letter, I've written you a long letter because I didn't have time to write you a short letter. I only say that because I would have liked a bit more time to work on my sermon. So, we're at 9 o'clock, we're supposed to give a summary of our sermon, and, and Father Elwood tells me my summary was 12 minutes. But I don't want you to worry, because I just had trouble summarizing it, so I think I gave kind of the whole thing. So, let's... <laughs> if you go to Montreal, has anyone ever been to Montreal? Awesome. If you go to Montreal, there's a neighborhood called Little Burgundy, and in Little Burgundy, there is a park, and it's called Place des Amphores, or in English, Strong Man's Square. It's a little park, it's a square. And in one corner is a statue of a man named Louis Sire, and he was born in 1863 and was a French-Canadian strong man. I think even today, if you Google World's Strongest Men, uh, his name comes up in the top ten. Ben Weeder, who was the bodybuilding expert, declared that he was that Louis Sear was the strongest human being in history. He was a, he was not very tall. He was five foot ten, but weighed over 300 pounds. He had a massive chest of 54 inches, and accomplished amazing feats of strength. Of course, the French Canadians probably added some legends to that, but I think there's a lot of evidence that he was incredibly incredibly strong. He lifted 500 pounds with one finger. He lifted, apparently put 18 men on a platform weighing over 4,000 pounds and lifted it off the ground. And the statue in Strongman Square is a statue of Louis Sarre with his huge arms crossed over his huge chest with a look of defiance and arrogance on his face. Stand, it's a bronze statue and it's placed on a polished marble plinth and it's so impressive and imposing. And across the square, almost facing off diametrically opposed, if you will, is a statue of Jesus. Now, the statue of Jesus is in pastel colors. It doesn't look like it's been very well taken care of, and the pastor is rather peeling. And so he looks quite anemic and weak. And one would be forgiven for thinking if they met in the middle of the square, Jesus would be in for a hard time. But it is the opposing pictures of power. And when we come to today's gospel reading in Mark, we understand that Jesus came not only in power, but to confront the powers of the world. Turn with me, if you will. We're going to look at the gospel passage in Mark which is the simple healing story of Peter's mother-in-law. But I think it's important to build up to that to see what's going on in Mark, how Mark is portraying Jesus Christ. It begins, if you have your Bible with you, I know some of you do, it blesses my heart. Uh, In Mark, it begins, and John announces Jesus coming, announces the good news. And then he said, when people question who John is, he said, I'm not the one, but one stronger than I. He doesn't say one more loving, one kinder, one more wise. He says one stronger than I is coming. 
And then the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus, and it again uses kind of a violent word. It says, the heavens were torn apart, and the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, so that Jesus heard the words, you are my son, whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. Immediately after that, this spirit drives him into the desert. Again, another strong Greek word, drives him into the desert, where he's tempted by Satan. And so immediately we have this conflict, this uh, graphic violent imagery and this conflict with Satan. Further on, a little bit further, he comes and he uh, chooses his disciples. And so the disciples uh, follow him, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And then they go to a Capernaum and they go into a synagogue. In the synagogue, there is a man with an evil spirit. And Jesus silences him. But not before the Spirit says, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. And then Jesus demonstrates his power. Now when he's teaching in the synagogue, the people are amazed at his teaching. And so Mark presents Jesus as with this dramatic teaching that seemed to be with authority and these dramatic acts of power that validate what he's saying. Now, the acts of power seem to be fairly evenly decided, divided between healings and exorcisms. And when, the, when in Mark writes this about his acts of power, he calls them in the Greek as dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. Now, come back to that in a little bit later. And so we see these acts of power. Now, we, we have a desire for power. I mean, we need power in our lives to do lots of things. We need power to get through the day sometimes, strength. But we're very impressed and um, attracted to find appealing physical strength. I walked into the grocery store the other day and somebody came in who was massive, muscles were bulging and a whoa. We're intrigued by political power, economic power, social power. We see social power working in the schools all the time. Some people have it, some people don't. We need power. We need power to love, to forgive. Sometimes we, that sent, when we sense that we lack power, it comes from a sense of insecurity, who we are. Who, if we're unclear about who we are, unclear about who God is. And so in the beginning of Mark's gospel, we have a revelation of who Jesus is. And if we don't have power, we feel insignificant, and that's a bad place to be. And so Jesus comes along, uh, just setting the stage then, that he comes and he teaches to amaze people, he does an exorcism, and then he teaches and raises Peter's mother-in-law. Now, it's a simple and very tender story. He grabs her by the hand and raises her, and the fever leaves her, and then she serves them. It's a, it's a delightful story, but I also wonder if it's meant to be something of a parable of what happens when we have an interaction with God, that we're raised to new life. When it says he raised her, it's the same Greek word as it's referred when God raises Jesus in the resurrection. If we follow Jesus, if we follow the resurrected one, participating in that resurrected life, he raises us up. We find healing. And when we find healing, we find opportunity for service. It's strange, I think, to our mind, I think, when just off the sickbed, they allow her to serve. But it's a picture of it's not so much that 
Jesus came so that, and healed her so that she could take care of their needs, but so that she could be like Jesus. Later on in Mark chapter 10, Jesus clarifies, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. And so we see this woman, the mother-in-law of Peter, taking on this imitation of Jesus' life. And then we go on in the rest of the verse, uh, the passage, if I follow along, in verse 32, at evening, at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed. So again, we see the healing and the possession. Now, I don't know what you do with that. In our modern world, uh, evil, demons, possession, those words don't come up in our language, our conversation very much. But it's certainly there in our baptism. I was meeting with the confirmation class. And quite deliberately, we turn from Satan, from all the spiritual forces, from sin in our lives, and we turn to Christ. You will have heard, I think, that there was a, a tragedy not far out of our parish. Uh, an Episcopal priest from Uganda, Father Israel, uh, didn't show up to church last week. When they, last Sunday, when they went in, they found him dead, and his, along with his wife and son. His other son was arrested a couple of days later in Mississippi. And in Mississippi, uh, he, they, he went to a family friend, an older Ugandan Episcopal priest, and he didn't get a chance to see him. He was arrested and taken back. But a reporter went to this elderly Episcopal priest and asked him about it. And the elderly priest said, I wished I had been able to talk to him, to ask him why he did it. And the reporter said to him, why do you think he did it? And the priest answered quite quickly, oh, I think he was possessed. And I would have liked to have seen the look on the reporter's face because it's not a category, it's not a conversation, it's not a vocabulary that we're comfortable with, but it is in the gospel. It is in our liturgy. And I think it is a reality that we ignore at our peril. But we are hopeful people because it's a clear presentation of Jesus exerting his superior strength. We've just been at, have you seen the movie Unbroken? A great uh, movie of Louis Zamperini uh, who goes off to war and is lost at sea for 45 days. He thinks he's being rescued, but he's not being rescued by Americans. He's being rescued by the enemy. They throw him into various prison camps, endures horrific uh, torture and imprisonment. The movie kind of ends there. He's, uh, he's saved. You know, the war is over. They, they free the people from the prison camp, and he goes back to America, and Angelina Jolie, the director, says just kind of in a couple lines, he went back to forgive his captors. Uh, Father Bates has ordered the little DVD from Billy Graham because what happened when he went back to America is he was a hero, very well known. He married a beautiful wife, but his life just declined. He couldn't control his thoughts and feelings. He turned to alcohol. His wife left him. He admitted he was an alcoholic, and his life was in a desperate situation because he could not get out of his mind his captor who'd been so cruel every night he dreamed of him and every day he planned he had a deliberate plan to return to Japan to find this man and to kill him until someone dragged him to a Billy Graham crusade two nights and on the second night he came to Christ and he never dreamed of that man again and he got his life turned around and it was Christ who gave him the power to forgive. And it was a dramatic story and there was something missing from it. 
Lent is coming up, and I think Lent is a very important uh, season in our life. Have you ever had a computer that just stopped working? And you don't know what to do? Have you ever phoned, you know, the tech support, wherever it is in the world? And they say, do you know what they always say? Have you tried turning it on and off? <laughs> and then you always feel so stupid. You think, I, I should have known that before I picked up the phone. I always think Lent is like the reset button on our computer. It's kind of turning it off, turning it back on again. So we understand what's available to us. Understand who we are in relationship to God. Did you notice the Old Testament passage? This dramatic presentation of God. If power and might controls the stars. And then he says to us. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. He loves to give us power and strength. It's available to us. It says those who wait upon the Lord is not a passive just unactivity. It is a deliberate focusing and changing our perspective on the Lord God. Trusting in him. Looking to him. Getting ready for him so that when he calls us, tells us who we are and calls us, we will be ready to go in his strength. And so sometimes we forget who we are. We need power to know who we are. Power to know who God is and what is available to us. Maybe you've lost sight of who you are as a child of God. And we've come this morning to be reminded. Maybe you've forgotten the resources available to you, the spiritual gifts, the love, the power to forgive and to make a difference in this world. Come to be reminded of what's available. Maybe you've squandered gifts that God has entrusted to you. Come, be refreshed, be forgiven, be replenished, and let's together move on in the power of the Lord to love and to serve and to redeem. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.